Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our, Our teaching team, team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion. To which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to expand in faith, hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because they anchor us in something which can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere. Cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. This week's scripture reading is from Genesis chapter 18, verses 20 through 32. Then the Lord said, How great is the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah, and how very grave their sin. I must go down and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me, and if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom, while Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham came near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not forgive it for the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will forgive the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered, Let me take it upon myself to speak to the Lord. I, who am but dust and ashes, suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Again he spoke to him, suppose 40 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, oh, do not let the Lord be angry if I speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, let me take it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty are found there. He answered, For the sake of twenty, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, do not let the Lord be angry if I speak just once more. Suppose ten are found there. He answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. The word of the Lord. This is a really juicy passage. Um, And this bit here, we're in Genesis 18, 20 through 32, is sandwiched in between two super important stories in Genesis. It immediately follows the story in Genesis 17, when Abraham and Sarah welcome three strangers, who, spoiler alert, turn out to be God and two angels, but they didn't know it. And they welcome them with food and with shelter and with compassion. This is like the picture-perfect example of what hospitality should be. And then, Genesis 18, what comes after Genesis 19, the infamous story of Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed by fireballs raining down from the sky. So that's nice and easy, right? So let us start with this. God says, how very grave the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. What, what is that sin? 
spoiler alert, it is not homosexuality. I'm going to say that again. That Sodom and Gomorrah, their grave sin was not homosexuality. Does anyone have a guess as to what it might be? Totally okay if not, because that's what I'm going to teach about. Well, let me first tell you a story. Two foreigners arrive late one night to a town whose reputation for wickedness is well known. The foreigners receive shelter, provisions, at one home in particular, highlighting the stark contrast between the host and the rest of the wicked town. The two foreigners um, reveal to their hosts that they have come that night on a divine mission to destroy the town. However, due to the generous hospitality shown them, the two foreigners want to save their hosts and urge them to leave town immediately and not look back as they go. When the escaping family crosses the borders of town, they glance behind them and witness the utter destruction of the entire city and all the wicked occupants therein. Does this story sound familiar? Does it maybe sound like Genesis 19, Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, what if I told you that the two foreigners in this story were Zeus and Hermes disguised as humans, and the hospitable hosts were named Bacchus, Kiss, something, and Philemon. And this is actually a Roman story told by a Roman poet named Ovid in his masterpiece, Metamorphosis. <laughs> you can tell I practice these words, huh? Um, okay, wait a second, Allie. Uh, are you saying that some of the stories written down and collected in our sacred texts are actually similar to and or inspired by other stories and traditions that other cultures have collected and passed down for the purpose of teaching cultural values? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Israel wasn't the only one with a story like this. And that's not the first time we see this in the scriptures. And so when we hold together these cultural and literary traditions, right, we have this story of hospitality um, by the Roman poet. And we have the literary story of Abraham in Genesis 17, showing extreme, generous, per picture-perfect hospitality to these strangers. The, knowing this helps take the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and expands it exponentially beyond what I feel like so many of us have been taught about the moral of the story. It's not about same-sex love or relationships. It's about the egregious offense of inhospitality, domination, and the destruction that inevitably follows greed and uncompassion. I don't quite know what the opposite word would be, but I really like uncompassion. <laughs> um, and there's so much more to dive in on this. Like, this is just skimming the surface. Like, Jesus and the prophets all comment on and interpret this story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And, spoiler alert, it's all about their inhospitality. But our portion today is Genesis 18, not Genesis 19. Um, so maybe someday we'll talk more about it. Um, but here we have this 
heated and kind of ridiculous and silly negotiation between God and Abraham about what's the acceptable threshold of righteousness to justify destroying these cities. It starts with God lamenting, how great is the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah? So I'll play time. Where else in scripture does God hear the outcries of those who are abused and oppressed? There's a lot of examples, so just shout one out if you remember God ever hearing us. Exit. Yeah, um, John said the people in Egypt, right? Exodus, I think, two, God hears the outcry of his people in Egypt and then goes down to save them. Awesome. Anybody else? Yes, Hagar. Yes, those are my two examples. Hagar, who was Sarah's kind of servant lady and then is impregnated by Abraham and then runs away with Ishmael and she cries out to God and God sees her and God hears her. Anything else? I feel like there's maybe a psalm about like, I cry out to God and you hear me and you lift me up out of the miry clay. Okay. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. It's a thing that happens in scripture that humans cry out and God hears us and responds. Now, one thing I love about the time and place of history we call the ancient Near East, say that with me, ancient Near East, that's a nerdy Bible term, um, and it's kind of like the blob of our world where like all the stories in scripture happen and sort of the time, mostly in the Old Testament, right? So ancient Near East. Um, their view of how gods interact with humans is like so fun and fascinating to me. Because in many ancient Near Eastern cultures, God, the gods lived in a sky, right? And they had their own divine lives up there and the humans down below, that's us, had to try and get their attention with loud cries, beautiful singing, sweet aromas of their offerings and sacrifices. So like in 1 Kings 18, when Elijah laughs at the prophets of Baal, and he's like, huh, your God can't hear you. He's probably in the bathroom doing his business. Um, some gods were more attentive and more interactive and listening than others. And I just think that's, like, it's a bummer when they don't listen, but I think it's cool that they understood these deities as people you could, like, call upon and talk to. So here, God says, how great is the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah and how very grave their sin of inhospitality. I must go down and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. God hears the cries of Sodom and Gomorrah's brutal and violent inhospitality and decides to intervene. But first, God is sending two angels to investigate and double check because that would be awkward if God smote the wrong city. So while the angels head to Sodom, Abraham and Yahweh stay behind, right? This is right after Abraham welcomes God and the two angels. So they're just kind of chilling by some trees. Um, but something's not sitting quite right with Abraham because who did Abraham know that was living in Sodom? Lot. Yeah, Lot. His nephew, 
If you back up in Genesis, you'll see Abraham and Lot split ways, and Lot goes and lives in Sodom. So Lot is an immigrant living in the city of Sodom. Um, so Abraham does something that we all do, calls God's character into question. And I'm kind of only half joking here, because if you think about it, and if you're honest with yourself, we really do question God's character sometimes. He says, will you really sweep away the righteous with the wicked? That's profane. Far be it from you to do such a thing. He's essentially saying, can you really call yourself holy? You see, the gods of the ancient Near East were all about retributive justice. Am I saying that right? That word is so hard for me. Retributive. If you do good things, yay, you'll be rewarded. If you do bad things, boo, you'll be punished and die. And so it makes sense that this is how Abraham understood this God Yahweh to be. The only problem is that Abraham also knew there was something different about Yahweh. Because Yahweh also had compassion and mercy and forgiveness. And that kind of gets in the way of retributive justice. So here's a little juicy nugget for you. So you know how it says, before all this negotiation stuff, in verse 23, then Abraham came near to God and said, now the earliest accounts of the story, um, write this bit down a little differently. It says, then Yahweh stood before Abraham. And it creates this portrait of like, Abraham is about to teach God something. Hmm. Now, scribes, somewhere down the road as they were rewriting and rewriting this story, kind of thought that was absurd and irreverent to imagine that a human had something to teach God. So then they just swipped, 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 oh my gosh, switched the nouns. So it read, then Abraham stood before Yahweh. And then the NRSV, we get, then Abraham came near and said, and I love this nugget because it totally brings a whole new dynamic to this story. There's a back and forth negotiation with, with Abraham and God, and it's like Abraham is speaking up and reminding God of her compassion. Yahweh, if you're really Yahweh, there's no way you can be cool with this unflinching indictment, punishment, retributive justice thing. If you're really Yahweh, shouldn't you intervene with compassion, mercy, and forgiveness? Have we ever asked ourselves that question? Asked that question of God? If you're really God, shouldn't you intervene here? And I feel this Abraham in my bones. Have you read difficult stories in our scripture and wondered, is this really God? But wait, we're not allowed to talk to God like that, right? We're supposed to bow in reverence and never talk back, ask questions, or call out God like that. Just keep your head down. Don't ask questions because God is God and we are human. But what if we can? Maybe God doesn't operate in a vacuum. Maybe God is interactive. Maybe God actually cares about our thoughts and feelings and what we have to say. 
I grew up with a paradigm of faith that is the exact opposite of what Abraham displays here. Um, there was only room for thanks and praise at the throne of God. It's like the t-shirt would say, don't cry because it happened. Praise God for your suffering and smile because God knows what he's doing and works everything out together for my good. Well, this paradigm works great for the first 19 years of my life. Sure, I couldn't be curious or honest with God. I couldn't question my theology or sexuality, but everything was simple and had an explanation. But then, 10 years ago this week, everything was shattered. So content warning, the story I'm about to share deals with trauma, death, and gun violence and icky theology. Um, so if you need to, please step out of the room, mute your computer, turn off your listening ears. Um, I'll take a brief pause if anyone needs to do so. So 10 years ago, I just finished my first year of college and spent the summer at my childhood home in Aurora, Colorado. Right? Life was exciting. I just tasted a whole new kind of independence. I had so many new friends to keep up with, and there was this boy from Bethel named Will I was flirting with on the internet. <laughs> Spoiler alert, he's right there. And I woke up on the morning of July 20th, 2012. The boy I was flirting with, well, it was his birthday, so the day felt a little extra special. In the morning, I opened up Facebook and saw posts from my friends in Aurora about a theater shooting that happened overnight. That's weird, I thought, and sad. Who would bring a gun to a movie theater? Later that morning, I received a phone call from my friend. He was distraught and in tears. Allie, he cried. I can't find my dad. He was at the theater with my sisters last night, and we haven't heard from him. I don't know where he is. My heart sank to the pit of my stomach and fell right out of my body. What is happening right now? We found out later that my friend's dad was killed in the Aurora movie theater shooting. That did not make sense to me. Things like that only happened in newspapers. Not to my friends. But surely, God will work this together for good, right? I woke up a couple weeks later on the morning of my brother's wedding, and the house was awfully quiet. Where was everybody? We got a wedding to get ready for. My parents eventually came home with eyes puffy and red. That's weird. I thought I'd, I'd never seen them cry. My mom's voice quivered as she told us my uncle died that morning. A few weeks after that, another friend's mom died unexpectedly of cancer. Still later that year, my little sister's best friend died. Two thousand twelve is still the worst year of my life. I would say twenty twenty is maybe the second worst. <laughs> I was thrown into the valley of death. 
with a guidebook full of sunshine and happiness. As if it was saying to me, do you see that eerie bog over there? Oh, you're so lucky to see that. Because that's where God explains why he lets people die in terrible ways. My never question God or be honest with my feelings theology was like a pretty sparkly band-aid put over a crack in a dam. Completely useless and destroyed by the torrent waves of grief. When I returned to college in the fall, I felt numb and raw. What's the point of anything? Is there anything really, truly good in the world? Where has God been? I had nothing to hold on to until one of my favorite professors, Vernon Lee, who has no relation, <laughs> gave me a tool and a word. Lament. In talking about the collection of psalms in our sacred text, Vernon assigned us an article written by Walter Brueggemann about the costly loss of lament. Brueggemann asserts that a life of faith without lament comes with a huge and costly loss. If we can only approach God's throne with thanks and praise, what does that say about who we are, who God is, and the relationship between us? For the first time in my life, I heard someone say that we can be active co-participants in our relationship with God. We can be honest about our feelings. We can ask questions when things don't make sense or seem unfair. We can cry, curse, rage, negotiate, laugh, sneer, side-eye, celebrate, grieve, and lament with God. Because God moved out of her pantheon penthouse in the sky and into our human skin. Feelings and all. My beloved community, the good news of God is that we can bring our whole, honest, raw self to God. And she welcomes us with tenderness, love, and compassion. Her great big arms are ready to embrace all our big feelings. And her tender, strong hands are ready to hold our big questions. So before we move into prayers of confession, um, Will, do you want to pass out note cards and come around with pens? Take a note card. You don't have to take a pen if you don't want to. Um, because I want to present an opportunity for us, whether it's later in the service, later today, or this week, to be raw and honest and vulnerable with God. For some of us, this might be easy, like, oh, I do this every day. For some of us, it might be one of the first few times we've tried. But lament and vulnerability with God is like a muscle. The more we do it, the easier it gets. So on one side, whenever you choose to do this, put to words the feelings or questions you've been too afraid to bring to God and or to name within yourself. What is it that feels too big and scary for even God to hold? Then sit with that. And on the other side, 
write, draw, or imagine how God meets you in that moment of your most tender self. Because you will be met with love and compassion. If you are not, then that's not God. Endings are a place where life is Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If, if you, you find, find yourself, yourself nearby, nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if have, you have any, any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscove.org.